And so we're going to keep going on our trust fund series here. But um, I got a couple announcements I want to let you guys know about coming up here in the next couple weeks. Next week is going to be a blast. You're going to love what just the next couple weeks are going to look like. Next week is our spring neighborhood party. You've heard us talking about it. Some of you were here for it last year. Uh, basically what it is, it's a big taco party <laughs> on the back deck out here. We'll have horseshoes and and um, cornhole and frisbee and all kinds of fun stuff going on outside. Full taco bar. And then the coolest part about it is we do a guac and queso competition. And so last year it was legit. We probably had like 15 different dif- uh, dips and um, you know salsa and, and queso and guac and different things. So, so bring your A game with that. It's going to be a lot of fun. You come have a chance to win a gift card. Dethrone Lee from the championship of... Uh, the dip. So, so bring your A game next week. You can find it on one of the links online. Uh, just let us know that you're planning on uh, being a part of that competition just so we can have everything ready for you. So just bring that and there'll be some folks to greet you as you're coming and, and take that off your hands. Uh, the next week is Easter. It's coming up. It's right here and it's going to be a big, big Easter weekend for us. So we're really excited about what God's doing. A couple of years ago, I think it's been two or three years ago, we started something called the Resurrection Nocturne, the Easter Nocturne. Instead of a Good Friday service or, or a sunrise service on Sunday morning, uh, we started doing this thing called the Nocturne. Nocturne is just kind of night of music underneath the, underneath the stars. And so because the time changed, it doesn't get to be the stars and with kids' bedtimes and all that stuff. So we do it at 7 p.m., our Nocturne. And what it is, it's just a night of worship. We do it out here, outdoors. We always pray for good weather, and usually we get it. And um, we ha- we'll just meet out here and, and just worship. It's just a night for believers. Like Easter is just a great day. A lot of, we have a lot going on, of course, but uh, it's just a night just to worship and just to, to be together. And so you'll hear a lot of your old favorite uh, uh, worship tunes as well as some of the, the new ones, new favorites. And so I just encourage you to be a part of that. That's 7 p.m. the Saturday night before Easter, Easter Eve, if you will. And so we call it our nocturne. And then just before that, 6 p.m., we're doing an Easter egg hunt. So this is wide open. Tons of families are getting invited this week all throughout our community. Anybody that's moved into this area in the past six months is getting invited to our Easter uh, gathering, Easter weekend. And so what I'd love for you to do is be a part. Just be here for one of those. And then on Sunday, we're doing two services, 9, 15, 11, to just make room in the parking lot and the bathrooms and the auditorium and our kids' building for for all the guests that'll be here. And so I'd love for you to take these. The ushers and the hospitality team is going to have some of these as you leave. Just invite a coworker. Invite a coworker, invite a friend, invite a family member. What I'm going to do is I'm going to write their name right here and take a picture of it and tag them on Facebook and be like, you're coming. I want you to come <laughs> sit with me. I'm, I'm calling you out, inviting you to come sit with me. And so um, it's not about growing the church. It's about growing the kingdom. It's not about our local church. It's about growing the kingdom. And uh, the power of an invite, I just don't know. Um, chances are that an invite has, has radically transformed your life at somewhere down the, the, down the road. And so uh, just make the most of that opportunity. It matters in the temporary and it matters for the eternal. So take a stack of these and pass those out. Man, we're wrapping up our trust fund series today and excited to, to do this. I've spent the whole time really focusing on the heart. It has been a financial series, but you, you've noticed I haven't been talking a lot about money. I've been talking about our heart. And that's really what's been the focus of this series. Another reason for that is this coming summer, we're, we're offering one of our spiritual growth groups, our focuses for this summer, is a, a, really a, it's a course called Financial Peace University. How many of you heard of Financial Peace 
Anybody in the room heard of that? How many of you, has anybody been through financial peace? Anybody? All right, yeah, a few of you been through financial peace. So you're going to love this. This, this is truly a game changer for your financial future. It, he, um, it's Dave Ramsey's solution. Some of you may be familiar. And Dave Ramsey's hardcore. But what I love about Dave Ramsey, he gives you a ton of practicals. And, and the second thing I love about Dave Ramsey is, um, is everything is based off of Scripture. Right? He's not just winging it best business practices on what will get you out of debt or how to say everything is based from what he says is from the Bible and what your grandma told you. You know, it's, it's kind of from that approach. And so it's, it's a game changer for you. Do it as a couple. Do it as a single. It, it truly can just set the foundation on how to budget, how to get out of debt, and really all the practicals we're really focusing for this summer. It's an investment for you and for my family. We're doing it as well. It's $109. And so for a lot of you, like that may be like, that's, that's a lot. So you got a few months here to kind of save up and, and invest in it. But literally $109 that could really transform what your financial future was or $109 to help me really have some real tools and practicals to get. That's a cheap education. It really is a cheap education to really build for the future. So we're going to try to get as many folks as we can going through it this summer. We'll have a few different times and opportunities for you to engage. Let Jackie know, uh, Jackie Cobble, if you have. Jackie, wave your hand for those that don't know you uh, right up here. Let her know if you have any questions. Sign-ups, you're going to see that through your email here in the next few weeks. And sign-ups will end at the beginning of May, and the course will start in June uh, or right near the end of May. And so, it'll be, again, a few different opportunities, but love for you to just make plans to be a part of that and really kind of get your financial house in order. We're, we're getting our heart in order during this series, and we're just going to really hit let rubber hit the road this summer, and God's just doing a lot. And so, all right, there's enough of the announcements. Uh, let's dive into trust fund. I don't have a whole lot of time for the cute little story, so let's just turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17, and uh, we're going to look at this text here. Jeremiah chapter 17, we're going to look at verses 5 through 8. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. Jeremiah's a prophet. He's known as one of the major prophets. Uh, we call them major prophets because of the length of their work, not the content of their work. Their, everything they had to say and what God was speaking through them was major, but the content, the length of it um, was, was uh, larger, so they call it a major prophet. When we look at a prophet and their, 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 uh, the scriptures that we have there, it's important usually that, that we look at the cultural context in which they were speaking to, because many times they were speaking to kind of the political or eco-socioeconomic uh, um, uh, climate then, and, or, or speaking to a future context, a future reality. This particular text, I, I actually don't think it's necessary to look at their particular context. We could pull some of that out, but I think what God is saying is not something just for that time or for a future time, but for all time. I think what God is speaking to this text is for us today as much as it was for them then, and I think it'll land with us. Let's read verses 5 through 8, and then we're really going to spend our time with 7 and 8, but I just don't think you can look at 7 and 8 without really understanding really what he's building on with 5 and 6. So this is what the Lord says. He's speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. I love this text. I think it's a powerful 
powerful text about where we plant our tree. Do we plant our tree in the desert, which as God is speaking through Jeremiah, which is a place that's built on mere flesh, on our own strength, on what we can bring to the table, or do we build it by trusting in the Lord and building it near the stream of his, of his power and his strength? Uh, the word cursed here kind of throws us off, and we're like, whoa, anytime we see the word cursed, we just think like, that, that ain't good. And so this actual uh, word here, this Hebrew word, actually dates back, the first time we see it is with the serpent in Genesis 3. And that God cursed the serpent. And really, it's, it's not like some voodoo kind of curse thing that God does. It's, it's a, a demotion to the lowest of places, the most menial of positions, and a complete removal of all blessing. And what this text tells us is not so much like God saying, curse you, but actually sometimes we are cursed by our own actions, by our own choices. It's not always like God's going to curse you. No, actually, we've made a choice because when we make a choice between trusting in God, what we've actually done, and we all make that choice, right? When we talked about this with Jesus talking about money, you'll either love the one, hate the other, right? You, you can't serve two masters. And so what happens when we choose to trust in the flesh, let's just talk about it in, on Monday, we've actually, we've actually turned our back from the Lord. And, and what we've actually done is, is we've put ourselves in the most menial positions and removed blessing by trusting in our flesh and what we can do. And so we, I really want to unpack this and a few things that I see in this text uh, that I think are so life-giving with just a simple thought of a pl- uh, us being a tree that's planted by the stream, a, a tree that's planted by the water and choosing not to trust in the flesh, but to always, every day, every moment, choosing to trust and let the roots send out by the stream and let him be our abundant provision. I think the first thing I, I think this text speaks to us is that there is divine blessing, and the divine blessing is the fruit of our obedience to trust God. It's the fruit of our obedience, is his divine blessing. Cursed, but blessed. The first time we see this is with the serpent. The last time we see this in the Hebrew text in the Old Testament is in Malachi 3. You guys remember the text, Malachi 3, verses 8 and 9, that talks about the tithe. You're robbing me. You're, you're to bring the, the whole tithe into the storehouse and right that, that whole text and, and test me in this, see if I won't throw, you know, throw open the windows of heaven so much of a blessing that you can't even handle it. And I'll prevent the pests from devouring and the, the crops from dropping their fruit at the wrong time till just they're ripe. Speaks so much volumes. I, I, I think God knows. He, he knows that, that, well, he obviously knows, but, but I think what God is trying to speak to us through these principles, one like the tithe and, and the principle of first fruits, I'll call it, and the Sabbath is that our blessing is going to come when we trust in him. And, and he gives us these, what I'll call two principles of first fruits. And, and I think we see this in the tithe and we see it in the Sabbath. So I just want to take a few minutes to just tease out the tithe and tease out the Sabbath because these are two laws. And what's crazy about this is, is I think that we need these two principles more than ever, and we practice them less than ever. We need them more than ever, and we practice them less than ever. God instituted and established the Sabbath in creation and the scriptures tell us that he didn't need, God didn't need a day off, right? He was establishing a pattern for us of rest, that it was important. 
And what's scientifically proven is that we're better off when we rest. Go without sleep for a little while and see how you do. Right? How many of you have been burnt out by work? Some of you are in the room, you're burnt out right now by work. And it's these two you know, very scarce resources that God gives us very tangible principles. Time and money, is there any more scarce resources? We, all, we wish we could have more time in the week to finish our work. We wish we had more money to, to get ahead and get things paid for and do different things. But these scarce resources, and God gives us these two life-giving principles. And they all, if you look at both of them, they started out as principles, not as laws. Later, God would make them laws to help us understand it, and then he would set us free from that law through Christ. Jesus didn't come to uh, abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. Jesus fulfilled every law there was, including the law of tithes. So it's a principle of first fruits. Just as we see God establishing that in creation, the Sabbath, we see it in the tithe all the way in Genesis chapter 4. So we're looking at Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 4 already in the sermon. In Genesis 4, we see that these, these two um, uh, brothers, Cain and Abel, they both brought something to God, but Abel brought the first fruits, and God looked on it with favor. And then Cain brought an offering, is what the scripture says, and God looked down on it. So for the first fruits, God blessed, God showed favor on it, but for that which we gave which was left over, God didn't look on it with favor. And it's this whole principle of first fruits that we see throughout the scriptures. And what, In the beginning, God, are the first four words. I've heard it said that how we look at the first four words in the Bible shapes our perspective on everything. The theological word for it is the preeminence of God. And here's the, the deal. Whether God is first in our lives or not, he's still first. Whether he's first in your relationship or not, he's still first. Whether he's first in your money or not, he's still first. First in, I mean, you, you pick the category, he's still first. It's the preeminence of God. He, he's eternally existed, in, and he'll be here after we're gone. And God has established these principles so that we'll put him first. And Jesus explained this so plainly as he always does. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. I'm a builder. I build tables. Some of you work in construction or have been around this type of stuff or you've done things with crafts or arts in which, let's say we're going to build this building right here. And if if we don't get the first thing square where we're going to line up with the foundation, by the time we're down here, everything's off. It's all off. Uh, an inch down here ends up being a foot down here. In our lives, we wonder why there's chaos in certain parts of our life, and Jesus is making it so simple. Just put me first. So many times I'm encountered with people who have very complex situations, very complex financial situations, marital problems, like you name it. And the, the solution's always, just because the problem's complex doesn't mean the solution is. And most of the time, the solution's super easy. Seek first kingdom of God, his righteousness, everything else can be added to you. When, it's the principle of first fruits. Like when we put God first, everything else comes into order. That doesn't mean we're not going to face trials, things aren't going to happen, but there is order and God's blessing and covering because we're building that house. We're, we're a tree planted by the streams that there will be divine provision for. The, the tithe, I think, speaks to us in, in um, several ways. I think one, again, it's not for God. God God can bring water from a rock. He can bring manna from, he doesn't need my money. He doesn't need my tin. He doesn't need it. But it's for, it's actually for a number of things. These four right here. One, it's for our faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, 
without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible. And so many of us, what we actually try to do is we try to give, get ourselves to a place where we'll never have to apply that faith. And the tithe is a, it's a principle of first because you know what builds my faith is not giving the leftovers. That, that does nothing to my faith. Giving the first actually does something to my, I actually trust. There was a couple of weeks ago that, um, that we tithed before um, the income came in, before the paycheck hit. And Taryn was like, wow, that was, that was awesome. I mean, usually we do it right after. And she was like, that was awesome. It was just principle of first, before anything, trusting God, just trusting God in it. And so it's for our faith, the development of our faith. It takes no, it takes no faith to offer the leftovers. God wants to do something in our hearts and in our lives, but it's going to grow that. I think it's also a reflection of the gospel. It's a reminder of the gospel for it to be first because Jesus was God's tithe. Yet while we were still sinners, he gave his son. It's first. And there's a whole lot of deep theological stuff. Look into Exodus chapter 13 and the first belonging to God and a donkey, um, uh, which is considered unclean, and the lamb having to be sacrificed to redeem the donkey, the first Donkey, there's a whole lot of theological stuff that really points to this idea that in the first, God established it and gave us Jesus. And so in our finances, it's not about what we bring to the table in our works. And coming from this workaholic, these two principles have saved me spiritually. They have purified me spiritually. And so, yeah, I don't have a ton of time to go in there, but it's for our faith. Like our, our money is a reflection of where our heart is. I didn't, I didn't make that up. Jesus said it. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. That's not, that's not my preaching. This is, this is God's word. This is God's truth. That, that, that's where our heart is. And so it's for our faith. It's, it's not a reflection of the gospel to give the leftovers. It is a reflection and a reminder of what Jesus did for me to give it first because that's what Jesus, that's what God did. It's for our investment. Like we get a part, there's something innate in, in the humanity in which we long to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. And, and what the Malachi 3 tells us is that when you bring it together to the storehouse, to the, the temple, to the local church, that we are able to do so much more together than what we ever could apart. For those of you that are investors in the house, invest in stocks and different mutual funds around the world, are you interested, and you probably check up and you probably look on those things. Um, when you look up on those, do you look at the companies that you're not invested in? No, you don't care. You don't care how Nike does if you're not invested in them. What you do care about is the ones you are invested in. And there is something about this that we're invested in that we care about the kingdom of God going forward. And I believe the best investment literally in all of the world and all of eternity that we can make is in the local church. I'm not talking about this local church. I'm talking about the local church. And I'm not talking about just on the faith side. I'm talking about our investment and stuff that impacts the kingdom and impacts the temporary and eternal. Because, right, it makes an impact on people's eternal future today. Like this month, this week, it makes an impact on that. It makes an impact in the next generation. I just heard uh, one of our, our serve team members just talking uh, about a win in our student ministry right now of just a young lady who's just growing in her faith. And I was like, yes. So there's an investment that leads into the next generation. It leads into this community, into our schools, into nations all around the world. I couldn't do that on my own, but we together, God, and there is something within the human nature in which we get excited about being able to just 
do all of these great things for the kingdom. God's put that in us, so it's for our investment. It's for our blessing. There's so much blessing in it. I I won't uh, run on that, but you see it there in Malachi 3. And for our protection. That, that we are, when we are planted near the water, we just got this little tomato plant. And um, we, we're a work in progress. Taryn's very much growing in the green thumb area. I'm, I'm still way behind that. But I planted this tomato plant. We were just trying to figure out the right place to put it that would get the right amount of sun. And, and there was a couple of you know, uh, bush, like uh, bundles of tomatoes. I don't know what they're called. We'll call bundles right now. A couple like few vine things of tomatoes that dropped off too early. They were green. They weren't ready. So now they're just sitting there. And what Malachi 3 tells us that there is a protection that happens when we come up under his covering. The tree's planted by the water. There is a protection that happens in that that will not that, that will prevent the pest from devouring, will prevent the, the fruit from dropping off before it's early. There is, blessed, there is divine blessing. J- Jesus said, if your earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven give to those who ask? Okay, there is divine blessing and there is human blessing. God can open doors and bring promotions and raises that, that man never could. And so we trust in him. The second one is the Sabbath. I'm spending more time on this first point because I really want to get into it. God gave us this this principle of the Sabbath, and, and the call of the Sabbath is to, to stop, collaborate, and listen. And no, it's, um, <laughs> no the, it's to stop, and it's to, to listen, and to worship, and to delight ourselves in the Lord. I've shared this many times, that I am a recovering workaholic. And if you don't think it's done damage, um, you haven't talked honestly to someone who's recovered from it. Some of us are workaholics, and we just haven't been able to say, my name's Kyle, and I'm a workaholic. And the Sabbath is literally, it's a gift for me. God doesn't need the Sabbath. It's, it's for me. I think it's in these four ways. Why did God establish the Sabbath? One, for our faith. Same thing. That when I have to shut it down for a 24-hour period, I'm trusting God to work. I'm reminding myself that it's not built on what I can do today. That God is working two, three, in infinitely harder than what I'm ever working. And I can trust him in that. Even on the days in which I am resting, he is working on my behalf. It's a trust. It's building our faith. I, I love these couple of quotes here. What, what makes us think that we will recognize God in eternity if we can't recognize him on a daily basis now? Because we're so busy, so working, and and when we get to heaven, when we're in eternity, the working's over with. We're just delighting ourselves in the Lord. We won't be, that, that ambition will just be solely to glorify the Father. Observing Sabbath is a workshop to practice eternity. It, it sets forth the motion of my heart to delight in him for the next six days. And then that next seventh day, I'm going to delight in him again It's for our holiness. There is a spiritual uniqueness. I think Chick-fil-A is a great example of this, right? One, could you all love them? But they are kicking butt and taking names. Like they are. Like they're destroying it in the marketplace. And they're honoring God in the Sabbath. Like do what? Like there is a spiritual uniqueness that God wanted his people to be so different. 
It's the word holy. That's why God said, it's the only one of the Ten Commandments. And he said that this day is holy. And his command to the people of God was to keep it holy. And I would press that further and say, when we keep it holy, we are made holy. That we are, we are actually transformed and we are spiritually unique and we understand rest not in a length of time but in a, a, a posture of our daily life. We are at rest in Christ who has done every bit of work and that it's not dependent on our works but in what Jesus did. It's in faith and where we plant our tree in him. They're both a reminder of the gospel. I think one thing that's really beautiful about this is that for the Hebrew people, for the people of Israel, their Sabbath was the last day of the week. Friday, sundown, into Saturday, Sunday. It's, it's the last day of the, of the week. Sunday is the first day of the week, not Monday. But after Christ, the church began to honor the Sabbath on the first day of the week, principle first. Because it was about, previously it was about working six days and resting, and now we can rest and then work. It's deeply spiritual. It's deeply a reflection of the gospel. And so if you are working, 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 I, I believe that God wants to do something in setting you aside as you set it aside. 24-hour period to shut it down. He will purify your heart, your motives, and refine uh, the inner parts of your heart. Thirdly, our freedom um, when God commanded this to the people of Israel, they were slaves. They hadn't just been slaves for a little while, like you have to your job, <laughs> to your master. They've been, mom was a slave, granddad was a slave, their granddad was a slave, generation after generation, slavery. And here God is establishing this, hey, you're, you're to do all your work in six days, and on the seventh day you're not going to work because I'm going to break this slavery thing off you. It's the last thing I do. And some of us, we don't realize it, but we're, we're slaves. And God has called us out of that slavery, slavery to the flesh, slavery to trust in our, our own hand, the work of our own hands. And he's, he's calling us to, he wants us free. He wants us free in every way. You know, for the people of Israel, when they were in captivity, they had a slave master. His name was Pharaoh. And, and the scriptures tell us that there was demonic powers operating in Pharaoh in this time. And I just wonder what's operating in us in this time. What's operating in us that's got us driven by the slave master of ambition and success and whatever your boss's name. What it's, we can walk in freedom. So there's all kinds of stuff in the New Testament that, that oh gosh, I don't have time to go into this. I'm, I'm just gonna go off and teach. There's so much in the New Testament that talks uh, uh, about um, this, this mentality of, of, of a slave to work as if unto God, even those that were under the bondage of slavery, that we could still be free even while we still had to clock into work the next day. That we could be totally different in our mentality and we could walk in freedom. It's freedom in our health too. Powerful. Like the, you want the joy of the Lord? Start taking a break. Take a day off. Joy of the Lord, you have a better chance for that joy of the Lord to, to re-enter into your being. Because a rested mind is an efficient mind. You're going you're gonna to be better for the next six days if you'll truly just rest on that first day. It's like an oil light in our car. 
that I'm just constantly reminded, man, I need to check up. I need an alignment. Am I, am I pushing in my own works? Am I plant, have I moved my tree to the desert? Or am I still planted near the stream, trusting in God? It's a life-giving principle. It's not legalism. And lastly, it's for our relationships. Our relationship with God, I love this quote, that, that Sabbath-keeping is nothing less than clinging to the robe of the maker of the universe. Sabbath-keeping is nothing more than clinging to the robe of the maker of the universe that said, hey, I'm just, I'm going to delight in the Lord. I'm just reaching out for the creator of heaven and earth and to delight in him. I think it does something. We allow God, we slow down and allow God to speak in the Sabbath. And so much happens in that time. It allows us to reconnect with your spouse, with your children, with your friendships. And I think most of the time, like we, we know when that's coming, it's an oil light. We hear it in our children. We hear it in our wife. I'm like, man, we're just working too much. We just need to slow down and just delight in each other. And when we do that, like everything starts to change for the next six days. And we're just, that time is really there together. So I just want to challenge you. I'm teaching a lot on these principles because I think they're game changers for us. I don't think it's about a law to keep. I think Jesus fulfilled the law. I think it's about life-giving principles that God established at the very beginning. Creation, the first four chapters of Genesis, all the way through, and Jesus fulfilled them and is calling us to trust him in that. So establishing our tree near the stream. Second thing I see here in this text is about trusting the Lord whose confidence is in him. I think humble confidence is the posture of the child of God. Humble confidence is the posture of the believer. And I, and I think we, we most often get this wrong. Most of the time I, I find us as children of God on this kind of coming at it from a cocky perspective or an insecure perspective. And we should be neither. We should be neither cocky or confident. We should walk humbly. Look into the text here, and it's quite, excuse me, excuse me, I had to get that out. You know, sometimes you have a choice, and sometimes you don't have a choice. That was not, I didn't have a choice. <clears throat> Look to this text. Um, it's quite beautiful, and you see it in the way the scripture, you see it in the perspective. There's this humble confidence that God's going to provide, even in the drought seasons, Fruits still gonna come. There will still be provision in, in, in the seasons that when the heat comes, when it's when it's not going well, there's still gonna be provision. There's still confidence there. But but that humble confidence never comes from us. The hum, whose confidence is in him. And what most of us do is we obsess about our weakness. Because it's way more apparent to us than it is to anybody else. And why we get mad when that's exploited or exposed is because we know it's true most of the time. And we, what ends up happening is when that's been established, then we obsess over our weakness. And for a child of God, we should not be obsessing over our weakness. We should be obsessing over his strength. Because then I don't have to be insecure about the thorn in my flesh. I don't have to be insecure. No, 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 no. Because it's not about my works anyway. It's not, Paul said, I'll boast in my weakness so that Christ's strength can be made known and can, he can receive glory through that. So there is this humble confidence. And so if you find yourself with pride bubbling up into this cocky attitude or this controlling attitude, or, or you hear insecurity bubbling up constantly and regularly, and I would say with both of these, like we, sometimes we just feel like we're ping-ponging through this, right? Oh, uh, I... 
I was trying to be more confident, and then it came, I came off arrogant, and then I was trying to be humble, and then it came off insecure, and like we're just we're ping-ponging through this, and it just takes time for us to walk in the Lord and just find rest in Him and just know, like, hey, it's okay, just take a deep breath. You're not doing this in your own strength, right? A house, a tree planted by the water is not doing its own strength. It's, it's not growing because of its sunlight. It's not growing because of its own water. It's growing because of the living water, the stream that's running beside it. And so if you find yourself in that place, quit obsessing over your weakness or quit obsessing over your strength. Obsess over his strength. Luke 6, 45 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It all bubbles up. So what's bubbling up into your actions? What's bubbling up in, out of your mouth? Insecurity, arrogance, pride, brokenness. God wants to do something in us. He, 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 God does not intend to leave you the way you are. Whether you love who you are or hate who you are, for all of us in the room, God does not intend to leave us the way we are. And so if you've been walking for, with God for a year or five years or 10 years, hey, guess what? In two years, you should look pretty different than what you look today. Not appearance-wise, but spiritually. Because God is moving us from glory to glory. He, we, he's calling us to be this new creation. He's already, he already sees it in us, and he is drawing us through the power of his spirit and through our obedience to the spirit of God in, inside of us to that future version, to that redeemed version, to that new creation that we already are spiritually, but he's drawing us to it in this day and in this time. So there is something about this that God wants us to walk with this humble confidence. And I think we see it right here in this text. Let's, let's begin to, to wrap up. Let's look at this last, last thought here. Um, abundant provision is the promise of God. It's humble confidence is the posture of the child of God. Divine blessing is the fruit of obedience to trust God. And then here, abundant provision is the, it's the promise of God. This text is powerful. They will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. It, its leaves are always green. I, I just, I love, you hear the humble confidence there. And that there's going to be provision even when the heat comes. It doesn't matter the season, God's going to be there. And it's a matter of where we're planting our tree. Is it going to be in our own works and what we can do? Or is it going to be trusting in God to, to replenish, to bring strength, to bring the blessing, to bring the provision? Like verse 6 is such a contrast. Look at this. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. Some of us in the room, you guys remember the, the chart we kind of put up? Some of us are in the surplus or stable, and we're, we've got prosperity. We don't even see it that it's here. We're still anxious about our finances. We're still anxious about everything. We're still pessimistic about everything, even though we have, we don't even see prosperity when it comes because we've planted our tree in the desert. We've planted it in the parched when there's like bushes rolling around like the tumbleweeds in the desert. Like, where are we planting our tree? When we plant it, um, uh, it near the stream, near the water, near the living water, and trusting in the Lord, that's really what that means. When we do that, it's a totally different thing. There's this confidence and this trust in the abundant provision. The promise of God will be true to who he said he would be. 
He will be faithful. He will be faithful. He is working for, for our good and for his glory, always. And there's something huge about this. We can't afford to dwell any longer, can't dwell in the, the, the desert, in, in the wastelands. Because it brings this negativity, it brings this pessimism in us. That even when the, we got prosperity, we don't see it. We can't even see it when it's here. But for the believer, like, those leaves are always going to be green. It doesn't matter if the heat comes. It doesn't matter what the external things are going on. I'm always, it's always going to be green. And so some, some of you might even look at me and be like, Pastor, you kind of got a cloak of wool over your eyes. And you always looking at things the positive way. Like, get, get that out of here. I'm sick of that. No, I think, I think that's the posture because we have this great hope in Christ that he's never finished. He's not, he's not finished with us. And I can trust in him even when it makes no sense to do so. And it's like, nah, God's not showing up on time. I'm gonna go do this myself. Because I've rested and then it's cost me a, a day's wages. Come on, how, I think what God's doing through some of this is how, how big of a God do you serve? Like the one that puts the stars in place or the one that is stressing about your cell phone bill? Like, what happens is, is when I'm not obsessing over my weakness and, and where I fall short, but I'm just putting him first in everything, it's just like water. And, I, and, I, and the way I see everything changes. Like I've got, I got the promise of God that he's going to provide. He's going to provide. I think this is all about what just God's doing in our hearts. And I think God is causing us and stirring us to just raise our understanding and belief of how big and how great of a God he is and how good and faithful he is. And if you haven't tested and seen that he's good, if you haven't tasted and seen that he's good, then taste and see that he is good. Ephesians 3, 20, 21 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory and the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He's able to do immeasurably more when we don't trust in ourselves, but we will trust in him. He can do more. He can do more in six days than you can do in seven. He can do more with 90 than you can do with 10. So, but, but so many times, let me, just, let me just tell you just the brokenness of where I was. Um, I've been blessed with just godly heritage. I mean, just men and women who love God, just on both sides, just really blessed. Uh, my great-grandfather, um, he was an adult. My grandfather was 14 years old. His name's Robert Nelson. When he was, when he was 14 years old, his dad, um, Leonard Nelson, was a prized fighter. He was a prize fighter. He would fight at night. He'd box, and he'd, that's how he'd put food on the table, kind of cool. But uh, during the day, not so cool, he was hauling junk, hauling big metal for a living. So that's kind of how he brought in the bacon and a little extra by beating people up at night. So that was my great grandpa Leonard. 
Well, he threw his back out, throwing something huge metal into the back of a trailer when my grandfather was 14 years old, and he was in a full body cast, and my grandfather had to go to work. And um, the Nelson clan from really through that time. So at 14 years old, he quit high school, and he went to work for himself. And he just put food on the table for his family. Um, all his brothers and sisters, he was the sole provider at 14 years old. <laughs> what were you doing at 14 years old? So that's what he was doing at 14 years old. So what happened generation after generation leading up to me is just this intense, incredible work ethic to hustle and work like more than anybody. There's like people who know our family just know that the Nelsons will work circles around people just because we hustle. And if you see me, I don't walk, I run. <laughs> I don't talk slow, I talk fast. And um, it, it's, just, it, it's just in me, genetically almost. Um, and that passed down to me to the point where I was in ministry, doing the ministry of the Lord full-time, 80, 90 hours a week, and I hated every bit of my life. Everything that, that God had moved me to a city, and I, and I hated it. I hated it. And I had this master inside that was going and driving at such a pace that the engine was going to blow. The engine was going to blow. And I hated my life. And I did that. Frankly, I, I did that kind of schedule until we moved to Jacksonville, Florida. And I, I felt that if I kept at that pace, I would lose my family. I'd lose my ministry. I'd make mistakes and I'd continue in a pattern of hating my life, and I just didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, and I realized I was enslaved to my work for God. And I looked at Taryn and I said, our life's not going to look like that anymore. You know, I'm going to be home, and I'm, my computer's not coming home with me, and it's not going to the bedroom with me, and I'm going to shut it down. And if people call and there's emergencies, I'm going to respond to me. That's part of my life. Um, but I'm going to shut it down, and our life's going to look really different. Because, and what I said to her, I said, um, because there's going to be a lot of other families that are looking at our life, and they're going to follow our pattern for good or for, for better or for worse. And if we do this, it's not only going to kill our family, it's going to kill a lot of other families. And most of all, it was the grace of God that really taught me that it, it wasn't about my works. God could work, do way more than, with, with 50 than I can do with 80 in a week. And so I don't know where that's landing with you, if it's on the humble confidence, if it's on just the promise of God, or if it's just the divine blessing of planting your tree near the water. But I want to invite you to stand. And the next few moments, what we're going to do, don't check out with me. Check in. Don't check out with me. Stay, stay locked in. Because I believe right now that God, this time, what we've created this time for in our service is, is not for a nice, sweet kind of closing pastor's message and now I lay me down to sleep, little prayer. We've created this time for you to respond to God. God's just striking something different in every single person's heart, a different part of the scripture, a different part of the message, and striking something in your heart. And, and what we believe this time is it's a time to respond to what God's doing to make a, a verbal, a physical, a spiritual response to God. And so I do want to pray over you, and I am going to invite you to the table, and I am going to invite you to the crosses for prayer this morning. 
Whatever God's doing in your heart, let's respond to it today and this week. Whatever the calling, whatever the challenge that God's laying out to you, it's not one for all. It's, it's one for each of us that God is challenging us in different ways.